development. <laughs> That's true. Uh, awesome. Well, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Proverbs, which is this really refreshing book in the Bible because uh, it's this piece of scripture that offers us essentially one liner after one liner. Of, about stuff that truly matters in our daily lives. It, it speaks to not just what we think or what we believe, but really like how we should live. Uh, and so wisdom is actually, just to remind ourselves, it's, it's learning how to apply the truth about God, the stuff that we believe, His character, what He's done for us. It's learning how to apply that truth to all the mundane, natural ordinary stuff that we experience on a daily basis. And so we've talked through uh, work first, and then today we're talking about rest. And then in the future we'll talk about all sorts of other things like money and prayer and uh, marriage and parenting and all that. But today we're talking about rest. Uh, We are an exhausted people. Uh, We live in a very hurried culture uh, the best way, uh, I think, I, I think way back when, when someone asked you, how are you doing? The answer wasn't busy. It was uh, more of a platitude like, I'm good or I'm fine. But now, when you ask someone, how are you doing? The answer that most people give is busy, uh, hurried. Uh, this also leaves us incredibly disconnected with other human beings. Uh, never in the history of mankind have we been able to connect with thousands of people and ideas and concepts and even relationally connect with people all over the world. Yet, uh, people label themselves as lonely higher than at any other time in history. With all this connective possibility, we're more lonely than we've ever been. And we're not just uh, tired, we're not present with other human beings. Uh, we don't know how to listen, how to talk. We don't know how to exist in one singular space. Uh, and we're really tired. Uh, we are a tired humanity. Uh, I, don't, I can't speak for all of humanity. I can only speak for you know, the 14 million people that live in Los Angeles. I'll speak for all of them. We're really tired. And as we say that, though, uh, we know the solution, right? Uh, People, you've probably even given this advice to other people that you've seen really tired and really exhausted. You've probably said, hey, well, do you think you could take a day off? Do you think you could rest? Maybe you just need to go to bed earlier. We say all of these things, but we don't actually do them for our own selves, right? We just uh, continue on. Uh, It doesn't matter how many times even uh, you might take a day off. This is one of the most uh, unique things about our culture. You might take a vacation. You might take a day off. Tomorrow, Mirella and I are leaving to go to Mexico uh, for a vacation for our anniversary. You can be jealous. That's fine. Uh, Marissa's happy for us, though. But something that often happens when people get done with that is they say, Oh, yeah, I just need a vacation from my vacation. Or we might take a whole day off, a whole break, uh, and we might even do nothing with that day. Just lay on the couch, watch Netflix, or you know that, that little bar that goes around in a circle and then the next show pops up. Uh, hour after hour, and then we go to bed and we eat junk food and we think, well, surely like I took a day off, yet the next day when we wake up, we feel just as exhausted as ever. We all know what we're supposed to do, you know, hashtag rest, but we don't do it. 
Uh, the book of Proverbs actually speaks to this deep reality. Uh, it's not a modern day problem. It's, it's been a problem and an issue in the lives of humans since the beginning of time. Uh, in the beginning of, of Proverbs, if you look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 25, uh, they, the, the wisdom comes to us like this. It says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers from want. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers from want. Uh, one really cool thing about the Bible is in the Old Testament, uh, the thing that motivated and controlled your habits and your thoughts uh, isn't your brain, it's your belly, uh, which is probably more accurate. But here he's saying the, the right person, the person who lives the way they're supposed to, who walks in the ways of God, they are satisfied, but the wicked person, they can never be satisfied. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 15 to 16, it says this, in real graphic terms, the leech, uh, if you're real familiar with leeches, I know we all are, but the leech has two sides, it has two daughters, give and give. Essentially, a, a leech is just sucking the life out of a person on both sides. And then three things are never satisfied, and four never say enough. And then verse 16, it says, Sheol... The barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, the life that never says enough. See, the book of Proverbs says that our exhaustion and our fatigue and our inability to take a day off is not just that we're tired, but that we're restless, that nothing could ever satisfy. Proverbs is even saying deeper than that, uh, that it's wickedness. The person who cannot stop and rest the person who cannot be satisfied is not just a, oh man, that's cute. Your biggest weakness in your job interview is you sometimes overwork. Like anyone ever use that in a job interview? I have, it's great. Uh, my biggest problem is that I care too much and I will show up too often. That's my biggest weakness. And that's how we view it in our culture, right? But the Bible is saying that's not just a weakness. It's not just a mishap. It's not just a uh-oh. It's actually wicked, it's wicked to us. It's wicked to people around us. It is itself sin. That restlessness means that we're completely unsatisfied. But Proverbs goes even deeper. If you look at the chapter 30, verse 15 and 16, he says that we're like a leech that could never say enough. That there's a bottomless pit that we must pursue. That, we, that there's something out there, there's a, there's a fear of missing out, there's a fear of not accomplishing something, there's a lack of, uh, of an ability to say, what I have is enough. What I've received is enough. And in that proverb, he says, and he describes that as Sheol, uh, which I'm sure you're all like, of course, Sheol. Sheol is the land of the dead, the people who are no longer living. It's where you go, uh, where all life has disappeared. See, the Bible is saying that if we live our lives like this bottomless pit where we're never satisfied, it will kill you. Not only is it wickedness, but that wickedness will result in your death. If you can't stop, if you refuse to stop, if you're never satisfied, you'll die. Not only that, Proverbs also says, nothing will ever be enough for that person. 
even in the barren, dead places, it won't be enough. Even in your death, you will still say, I want more. Nothing will ever satisfy. It could rain a little bit. You could get a day off. But the land or your heart or your belly will still say, not enough. I want more. I think it's because our hearts are bent on uh, attempting to live life as though we're God. A life without limits is another way to say it. I can continue to expand my borders and my domain. And I think beneath all of that, there's this great shepherding question. You can ask anybody who's struggling with something. You can say, if they're like, I just don't want to do it anymore. You can always say, but don't you want to do it though? You, we do the things we desire. We don't do the things we don't like. We do the things that we desire. We like being overworked. Maybe it gives you a sense of self-importance. Uh, we like being overtired. Maybe it makes us feel like we're better than the other people who uh, don't work as hard. Uh, we like uh, being so exhausted we're not present with others or ourselves or with God. Why? Because we love the thrill of pretending to be God ourselves. That's why that's described wickedness. That's why it's described as death. That's actually even the very essential root sin of the whole story of the, of the Bible. Adam and Eve, the first humans, are created. They live in this beautiful, vibrant garden. We talked about it last week. And in the middle of the garden is this choice. If you can eat of that fruit and you can be like God and decide what's right and what's wrong for yourself. You can take of the, the fruit in the middle of the garden and say... I will live as though I have no limits. As if I can be judge and jury. As if I can be in charge. Adam and Eve essentially say, I want to be like God. I want to control the world. I want to control how people perceive me. I want to control what gets accomplished. I want to control what I make and what gets made. All of it without God. And all of it without limits. And this is not just mere exhaustion. Like we started with. This is sin and this is death. But then, the Proverbs are slightly hopeful at times. Not just one-liners about weird insects. In Proverbs 19, verse 23, it says this. It says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. If you can remember when we talked about work, we said that God is the great worker, and He's doing all of these phenomenal things in the world, and that, that our work is all participation in His work. But in this passage, it's saying if the person who fears and puts themselves under God's authority. To fear the Lord is to basically say, you are God and I am not. The word Lord is really Yahweh, which is this uh, strange name that God gives Moses, which is, I am who I am. I'm the beginning, I'm the first, the Alpha, the Omega, the pre-existing one. The, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And if, if we fear that Lord, is to say, you are and I'm not. And that, Proverbs says, always leads to life. And whoever has that life, a life with limits, 
Do you see how that works? God is the one without limits. And to fear Him is to say, I have limits. Whoever has that rests satisfied. Deep contentment. So I don't want us to miss this incredible proverb of wisdom. It says, if we believe that the Lord is in control, if the Lord is doing the work of creating, of redeeming, of providing, of reconciling people to each other, of renewing the creation itself, that faith, to believe that, touches the ground, and it looks like two things. One is incredible work. The second thing is incredible rest. A rest filled with contentment and satisfaction. A rest that comes from trusting that God is the one doing the work and we are not as important as we think we are. So that's the Proverbs. That's the wisdom. So maybe right now you're just thinking, uh, because this is what I think. So what I really need to do is focus really hard on being content. If I could just, like, if I could just think about it the right way, if I could just believe that God is enough, then I'll, then I'll do it. Then I'll rest. Then I'll have a day off. Then I'll, I'll feel content. Or maybe even, if I could just think about God perfectly, then my, then my soul and my heart won't even need to take a day off. If I could just get it right. Does anyone feel that? This is the, the strange thing about the human life. That the spiritual reality, what we believe in our hearts, or our bellies, or our brains, however you want to connect, manifests itself in a physical reality. The spiritual reality, what we believe, uh, becomes a physical reality. If we believe that God is good, great, and gracious, and glorious, then we actually live a different way. Here's the other thing, though. What we do with our hands and what we do with our lives also train our hearts and our bellies and our brains what to believe. Do you see that? That, that the, the spiritual reality in, informs how we live our lives. What we believe informs how we live our lives. But also, how we live our lives trains our hearts what to believe. So for example, if if you say in your head and you could write it on a card every and put it all over your house that says, fear the Lord, it leads to life, and that anyone who has life is satisfied in their rest. You could write that, you could put it everywhere, you could tattoo it on your arm, put it on a coffee mug, like whatever your thing is to remember that. But then, if you have that in your heart, but then the way you live your life is one in which you uh, work nonstop, day after day. Not just going to work, but all the tasks, all the errands. You go from event to event. You go from person to person. You live in such a way that the world depends on you. Your heart will believe the world depends on you. See, it's, it's not just, oh, what we believe, that produces this life. It's also, we train our brains and our hearts what to believe with the way that we live our lives. And this is how we were created. The, and God knows this because He made us this way. And so he, he uses practices or disciplines or rhythms 
to train our hearts what we long to believe. In the Old Testament, they had festivals that they had to experience year over, over year. They had all of these symbols and all of these sayings that were all to remind them of things. But they also had practices that they did too. The, the cornerstone of the Jewish faith is a thing called the Sabbath. Uh, it's this, this Saturday. From sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, people rested. And this comes actually not from just the Ten Commandments, though it's the fourth one, and we'll talk about that in a second, but it starts in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. After God creates this whole world, when He creates the fish and the skies and the, uh, the plants that have seeds, and He creates all of those things, at the end of each day, day 1 through 5, He says, that's good. And then on the sixth day, He, he creates human beings. And he gives them the mandate to create and to work and to be satisfied in him. And he calls those humans very good, which is awesome. We're very good. We're like, the whales are good, but we're very good. Seems kind of backwards because the whales are awesome. But we're very good because we reflect God's image in his picture. But then on the seventh day, God creates this whole day and he says it's holy. Not good, Not very good, but he calls it holy. And see, up until this point, days one through six, he creates something out of nothing. Nothing existed, and he speaks it into being. The the mountains, the rivers, the the wonderful stuff of the world, he, he speaks it, and he creates something out of nothing. But then on the seventh day, he creates something, uh, and it's nothing. It's a day of nothing. Nothing gets created except he speaks the words that it's holy. God sits back on the seventh day and he rests and he brings and God, this is crazy if you want to think about it, creates rest. God is the one who created it. Just like he created whales and fish and you and me, he created rest. And God doesn't do it because he's exhausted. He doesn't do it because uh, he's on the verge of burnout or he's overstimulated. And so he just sort of throws the world of act and is like, I got to check out a Facebook for a while. He's, he's not experiencing that. It's not because he's put in too many hours. He rests because it's holy to stand back and look. It's holy to stop and see and to hear, and to notice the work that he's done. It's holy to step back and taste what God has made, to taste it for himself and see, this is good. Is he tired? Is he drained? No. He's content. God, content. And then in Exodus chapter 20, uh, he commands his people to live the same way. And the, the Ten Commandments that you might all know, the fourth one is actually the longest. And it's this bridge. The first three commandments are about how we relate to God. You know, like, don't cuss. You know, worship only Him. And don't have any idols. And then the last six are all about how we relate to other people. Like, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, all of those things, right? But then the fourth one is this bridge command. And it's for both. It's for us as we relate to one another, and it's for us as we relate to God. And this is the command, just so we can kind of grasp it. 
He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So here God gives the people the Sabbath day to teach their hearts to be content. To teach their hearts to remember God's work. To teach themselves to actually trust that he's good. And, and you might notice that he commanded them to keep it, to guard it. Because it takes guarding. It takes protection. After all the only one God thing, this is the strangest thing about the people of Israel. They, you know, had weird clothes. We looked at that when we studied the book of Hebrews. They uh, did all sorts of weird sacrifices. They uh, sang strange songs. They believed in one singular God. But the strangest thing about all of these people the people of Israel, is that they took a day off. In the ancient world, unheard of. They took this 24-hour day where they didn't guard their gates or their city walls, where they didn't go out to check on their animals, where they didn't make their animals work, where they didn't make their servants work. They didn't do anything. It was as if they believed God would provide for them. It was as if they believed God would protect them. It was as if God created the animals and was in charge of them, not themselves. The only thing that they did do on this day was trust God. And they would eat meals. They would share the story of God over and over again. They would enjoy all the things that God had done in their whole life history and the history of their fathers and their grandfathers and their grandmothers. And they would enjoy the stuff that God had given them. Like they would, you know, watch the sunrise, watch the sunset. They would walk in the cool of the day with one another. They had space where they talked to their friends and they talked to their their spouse and they, they spoke to their children without any of the demands that the rest of the world was fighting for. And this is what he says, and this is what he commands them to do that's holy. Keeping the Sabbath, guarding it, remembering it, and making it holy. And this is actually the thing that becomes the barometer for someone's faithfulness through the whole Old Testament. It's not about how awesome their sacrifices are, how great their uh, wonderful uh, feasts are, their festivals. It's not about how good they work or how much prayer they do. In the end... The barometer is, the measure of their faithfulness, their righteousness, is whether or not they do Sabbath. Whether or not they keep it and remember it. Is their ability to trust God and stop. That's what God is looking at. Well, Not will they do a bunch of work for me, but will they trust me enough to stop? It's as if Proverbs 19.23 is about that. Fear the Lord, enter life, and rest satisfied. It's an outward display of the inward reality that God is at work and God is content. 
if God is at work and God is in content and He is in control, then maybe I'm not in control. And the only way to find contentment and rest is to train our hearts to stop. To realize that we're not in charge. And I understand that uh, we can't uh, all tomorrow or today just say, hey, no more tasks for today. I'm out. In fact, that's, also, also, sorry, that's often uh, one way to interpret the beginning of that command. Remember the Sabbath. That it would require someone to think ahead of time and to plan that in the future, I'm going to stop and I'm going to trust God by not being God myself. And so I do, I want to encourage us to, uh, to try to train our hearts this way. To believe that God truly does satisfy us, but also to do the rest that would result in our brains and our hearts and our bellies understanding God is so much better than we are. He's so good at being God. And so I want to, uh, I guess I'm an elder now, so now I can like, you have to. Uh, that's not really it. Uh, I get to encourage and labor for you and pray that you'll do this one thing that I say. That you will, with your spouse or with your roommates or by yourself, say, on this day, you just take the next month and look at the calendar, on this day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a day off. And it's not just a day off. There's things to do to make it holy. There's three things. These are the rules. Uh, one is to rest. That sounds good, right? Rest from being hurt. Rest from hurting other people. This one's really good in marriage. Rest from heavy labor. Rest from your job and from email. Rest from the pace of the world. Uh, I, one of the things Mirella does that drives me nuts, if I can just say because she's not here, is uh, I'll like say, hey babe, go like take a day. And just, you know, chillax. And she will run around and do all the errands. She did it this week. She took our van to, like, three different auto shops to see, like, what was wrong with our car. It's like, that is not the point. You were supposed to go and, like, drink coffee and eat croissants. (laughs) So you rest from the pace of the world. You rest from the job. And you also rest from information. Like, yep, you know what that means. The second thing is that we remember We remember God's work, all that He's done in our lives. We can also remember all the things that we got to do as part of His work. We also remember that God is holding the world together. I want you to just imagine all of those farmers and those city gates, warriors, all of the people that took the Sabbath off, and every day they come back that Saturday evening, to check on their animals, to check on the city gates, to see and know each time, God is really God. He really provided for me. I didn't have to sit there on the gates. I didn't have to walk around and take care of all my animals all day. He was really God, and I am not. So that's what you do. You remember God's work. And you can do that in prayer. It's as simple as you can sit down and and write out, what are all the evidences of God working in my life this last week? What did He do? We even do this with our children. What are you thankful for from the last week? And people, two-year-olds, can come up with a list that's better, I've seen, than like 50-year-olds. Or 30-year-olds, however old you are. Then the last thing is, is that we recreate. 
I'm really proud that they all are alliterated. (laughs) We play. We enjoy the fruit of God's work. We go surf. We go sit at the beach. We go hike. We go into the backyard and we play with dirt. Because God made it and it is good. And we also, we indulge in the sweets of this world. Uh, the, the Hebrews had this wonderful habit of putting honey on the lips of children on the Sabbath to say, it's good. Doesn't it taste sweet? Isn't God wonderful? So whether that's a donut or a croissant or whatever it might be, if you're like really good parent, like give your kids like a sweet on that day and give yourself one too. We indulge in the sweets because God is so good. It's to train our hearts. So I want to encourage you to do that, to do that Sabbath work, to rest. Because if you don't, it'll kill you, right? We live without limits, and it's wicked. It's not some slight offensive. It's wicked. And it's not just a wickedness that leads to uh, some sort of pain for just ourselves. It's a wickedness that leads to death. It is to break uh, God's rule and reign because we're saying, I have no limits, no one can hold me down. And then many years later, though, after all this Sabbath keeping and breaking, uh, Jesus shows up into the world. God in the flesh. And he's walking around and he begins to do work on the Sabbath crazy. People are losing their minds because this is the thing that got them kicked out of their land. This is what made them be slaves for years and years. And Jesus is walking around as if it's nothing healing people. As if it's nothing feeding people. And also as if it's nothing, he's like exercising demons from people's like bodies, like pushing back evil. And the religious leaders, if you want to just sort of follow, when did Jesus get into fights with these powerful religious leaders? It was always on the Sabbath. So the other thing Jesus did besides healing people, feeding people, exercising demons, is he also fought with people, argued with them. And this is what he says in all of those arguments. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am in charge. I am the one who created the whole world, and I will do what I want to do on the Sabbath. But he also says this, that that man wasn't created to do the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was created for us. That it was offered to us as a gift. That it was His design, but also, when He says that He's the Lord of the Sabbath, He is saying, I am that rest. That only, the only way to have that sort of satisfaction, the only way to even have the power within yourself to stop doing all the things that you want to do, to run from rest. Jesus is the only one who's enough. See, in in Jesus, God the Father looks to us and says, enough. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to make it up as you go. You don't have to fake it like you know what you're doing. God the Father looks at us graciously and says, enough. I am satisfied in you because of Jesus. In Christ, in His death and in His resurrection, the Holy Spirit says, this is life. You've been raised from the dead. All your wickedness, all your busyness, you're saying, I don't have any limits. 
All of that sin, it's been paid for and raised to life in Jesus. That what we celebrated at the beginning of last month is still true with rest. And Jesus is the Lord of the rest because he rose from the dead. Death has no sting. Evil has no power. All that busyness that you've done, all that hurriedness that you exist in, Jesus died for that, but also rose again for that, and you are alive because of him. And in Jesus, our response gets to be enough as well. We get to look at all of the work that Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and we get to say, I'm satisfied. I am satisfied in that message. I'm satisfied in that reality. There's nothing else I want to chase after. I'm good. I'm alive. I'm well fed. And this is the invitation of Jesus to all of us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, this is what Jesus says in light of all of this to every hurried, busy heart. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is rest satisfied. This is rest that's been raised from Sheol. Jesus says, Come, everyone who's weak and weary and burdened, come to this feast. Come enjoy this life. Come remember. Be satisfied. See, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. When Jesus is the king and the ruler of all things, we get life, right? An abundant, vibrant life. And whoever has that life gets to rest satisfied. And he becomes our rest not just one day a week, but every aspect of our week, right? This is the good news of the book of Proverbs, that he has come, that wisdom is embodied in Jesus. And he says, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible invitation. Uh, to, to take it requires us to repent of our, of our false limitlessness, to repent of our self-importance, Jesus, if we cannot stop, if we think our tasks are too big to stop, what does that say about our hearts? And how we think we exist in this universe. We pray, O oh Spirit, that you would transform our souls, that you would give us rest. Rest amidst the chaos. Rest amidst all of the days of our lives that are filled with things. We pray that you will transform our lives and that we would be satisfied. Amen.